Thank you. On their behalf, not for me. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, that was good. You've been trained well. This is God's morning. This is God's house. We are part of God's people. I welcome all of you, whether you're gathered here in the sanctuary of the Village Church or online in some way, shape, or form. It is a blessing for us to gather together as God's people. We are gathered here, of course, to worship the living God, and so let us be called together to worship as we read responsively words from the 62nd Psalm. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my God. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord. Friends, let us worship God.
God's grace was given to us in Jesus Christ before the ages began. In spite of God's love for us and the gift of love to us, we live destructively and against his will. But in God's good mercy, he assures us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. Let us together confess our sins and then be assured of his forgiveness. Let us pray. Almighty God, from the ends of the earth, you have gathered us around Christ's holy table. You have called us to be one family on earth, yet we find ways to be divided from each other and from you. Forgive our separate ways. Forgive everything that keeps us apart, the pride that prevents our proper reunion. O God, have mercy on your church, troubled and divided. Renew in us true unity of purpose, that we may break bread together and with one voice praise Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear now these words of assurance, the steadfast love of God never, never ceases. God's mercies are new every morning and we are in Christ Jesus forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Peace of Christ be with you. Please turn to one another and greet each other with that peace of Christ. sharing the peace, let me invite our young disciples to join their Sunday school teachers at the back. If you'd like to stay with your families, that's fine as well, but we will bless you and dismiss you, and most of us will think you're having a better time in Sunday school than we're having a church, but that's a different story. <laughs> 
Friends, let me share a little bit of news about what's going on in the life of our congregation. Uh, first of all, want to welcome John Russell as our so-called guest conductor. John is not really a guest. He's just a member of the family that's always been here. So, uh, John, I have a special gift for you this morning, and I want to be sure to give it to you right now. So you just put that in your hand. That's a rock, and, and I'll explain it later, okay? There we go. If there is someone here who has not taken a rock home with you, there are more rocks as you leave the sanctuary today. I'll explain it to you as well. Next Sunday, October 9th, we will have our kickoff gathering for the Gathering of Eight. This is an opportunity that you have to gather with seven or eight or nine other folks from the church simply for the purpose of enjoying fellowship with each other. For a while we've been encouraging you to have dinner together, but some of you don't necessarily like to eat. You'd rather go deep sea fishing or skydiving or something. So we don't care what it is that brings you together. We just encourage all of you to gather with other folks from the church in a time of fellowship. We'll tell you more about that next week. On Saturday the 15th of October, we will again send a small group down into Mexico just across the border with the Amor Ministries to help build a home for folks. If you'd like to participate in that, speak with Jan Farley following the service or better yet, go onto the church website or consult your email from Wednesday and you can follow the links and find out about that. A few weeks from now on All Hallows Eve, actually the day before All Hallows' Eve. We're going to have a trunk or treat experience again for our younger members or anyone else who will dress up in a costume to come out to the parking lot by the Fellowship Center. We'll have a bunch of folks there with the car trunks wide open and it will be our version of trick or treat. The following Sunday on November 6th, following this service, we'll have a new member seminar for those interested in learning about our church and maybe thinking more about joining the church. Again, you can learn more about these things and so many other things on the church website and via our church emails. One of the things that we learned a long, long, long time ago is that God has given us everything that we have. And it is a response of worship a response of trust and faith for us to give some back to God for His purposes in the world. And so now as this next musical piece is being offered, we call you to bring your offerings as you wish to the baskets at the front. God bless.
Please be seated. How good is our God that invites us as a community to come together to pray. I will lead us in a pastoral prayer and then we will say the Lord's Prayer together. Let us come before God's throne of grace. God of peace, we come in prayer seeking your promise, forgiveness through your son Jesus and a peace that surpasses understanding. When we look out at the world and see war and division, heartache and hopelessness, violence and vitriol, we lament with the world's suffering knowing that you weep with us Transform our tears into signs of hope and pour forth your peace into a dry and weary world. God of righteousness, we come in prayer, waiting quietly for your salvation. We pray for those who are lost and lonely, for those who are suffering, for those in our own congregation, Lord, that need your comfort. Hold them close to your heart as we do. Lord, this morning we pray for Antoinette and for Barbara and Dick as they grieve. We pray for healing for Kevin and Dave. We pray for those all unnamed, knowing that you know them, Lord, and that your healing hand is upon them. We pray for victims and their families in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. In a world of catastrophes and often violence, protect the fragile and the forgotten. Help us to trust that your mercies are new every morning. From the smallest mustard seed of faith, stir in us the will to be part of your transformation of the world. God of justice, we come in prayer, seeking your vision for a more just and merciful world filled with joy. Grant us eyes to see new possibility for relationships and restoration. Empower us to embrace your plan for a world where systems and structures are built to serve the least of these. A world of reconciliation and repair a world where poverty is transformed into plenty, a world where justice and joy reign. In our actions and our prayers, help us to be your people of justice and peace. Through your spirit of power and love, empower us to serve the least of these, the sick and in prison, the hungry and thirsty, the naked and lonely. In our love of neighbors, open our eyes to see your presence among us. God of joy, May your words bring forth as our source of justice and our joy. As the mountains and hills burst into song, so may we return to praise and bring glory to you. As all creation bears witness to your goodness, so may we bear witness to the image of God in one another that you called very good. As the trees in the fields clap their hands at your mighty acts, so may our hands clap for joy when your justice and peace reign. For all these things, Lord, we pray through Christ, our risen Lord, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
A reading from Psalm 146. Happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who has made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. And now, from the book of Job. There was once a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. In that great saga about the triumph of good over evil, a saga that is for so many people nearly scriptural in its authority and scope and impact, there is one scene that reveals, it illuminates, it describes one of the great theological questions and leads us to seek an answer to that question. Many of you know this story even though you don't know that this story is part of a theological commentary part of a great truth. So let me tell you the story. Han Solo <laughs> and Princess Leia and Chewbacca. Yes, an ancient relative of mine. They are flying through space at untold speeds on the Millennium Falcon, and they are trying to escape the TIE fighters of the evil empire that has just accomplished a great victory over the freedom fighters on the planet of Hoth, the ice planet. It's looking bad for the rebels against the evil empire. And as Han and Leia and Chewie are zipping through space, evading shots from here and shots from there, they, they fly into an asteroid field and come upon a huge asteroid that has the gaping maw of a cave. 
And so Han expertly pilots the Millennium Falcon into the cave and they go deep into its dark recesses and they land there on the floor of that cave and go completely quiet. And the TIE fighters zip past and our heroes are safe. But wait. Within just a few seconds, huge creatures that look like flying manta rays start glomming onto the spaceship, and so Han and Chewie and Leia have to leave the safety of the Falcon and take their ray blasters with them and start shooting these threatening manta rays, and as they're shooting, some of the shots go astray. And all of a sudden, the floor of this cave of their safety, their salvation, begins to move and wiggle and weave. And a blank expression comes across Han Solo's face. He says, quick, get back into the ship. They get back into the ship. And they start flying through the cave trying to get out. And as they come close to the entrance of the cave, you can see daylight in front of them, the daylight of safety. And you notice on the rim of the cave, both the top and the bottom are humongous teeth. And just as they zip out of this cave, they realize, and you realize what Han realized when the first shots went into the floor of the cave, that it was no cave. They had flown deep into the gut of a humongous worm <laughs> that's closing its mouth, and they barely get through the teeth, and they're safe again, saved from a space slug. Here's the question. Is the rock upon which you have sought safety? Is the ground upon which you have based your life? Is the floor underneath you worthy? Is it in fact safe? Is it good? Or not? That's our question today. Is God good? We are several Sundays into a series of sermons now about life on the rock. The rock to which Jesus referred at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he gave us that simple story about people who build their houses on the rock that withstand any storm or those who build on sand that withstand nothing. And so I've given you a rock as a reminder and a rock which fell from the pulpit a moment ago that Rick Farley had no part of. That was because I put the rock here. Sorry, I didn't warn you, but I keep another rock in my pocket. 
that rock is to remind you of the rock. And if you don't have a rock, there are more rocks waiting outside. Jesus said, build your life on this rock, because apparently Jesus believed that God is good. That God is the rock. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved. God is good. Where did Jesus get that idea from? Yes, I know that theologically we must say that Jesus was the word of God, the preexistent word that was the founding creation of everything that is the word that was with God and word that was God, but Jesus also was a human being. And from his mom and dad and aunts and uncles and cousins and the community of faith that he never forsake, that he always made sure to be part of, from that community of faith he had learned that God is good a faithful rock. Two examples only from the tradition that Jesus knew and the tradition that we knew. First of all, Job. Folks don't like to think about Job. I've understood that in 40 more, 40 plus years really of trying to teach you about these things. We don't like to think about Job because when we think about Job, we think of someone who lost everything, don't we? And we don't want to think about losing anything, much less everything. But let's look at Job for a moment. Job, we are told, was a man who was blameless and, and, and righteous. He believed God. He believed in God. He knew that God is good. That's what we're told in the very first verse of the story. In the next verses, we're told that Satan believes, that Job believes because God has given everything to Job. Who wouldn't believe in a good God? You have a beautiful wife, you have beautiful children, you've won the lottery, everything is perfect. Satan says, I'll bet if Job had none of those things, God, that he would no longer believe you, he would no longer trust you, he would no longer say that you are good. And so God says, fine, put him to the test. And so Satan is allowed to take everything away from Job, and you would think that Job would say, I must have been wrong about God. But that's not what Job says. Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job understood in the depth of his soul that God is good, regardless of the circumstances of life at the moment regardless of how well things have gone or how poorly they may have gone. Job understood that his very life itself was a gift from God and that any gift that he had enjoyed in life was a gift from God. And truth be told, the, the main reason he knew that they were good gifts is because he had lost them. We know that truth, don't we, that it's only when you've lost something that you realize how good it is. Job experienced that moment of spiritual 
insight and wisdom and growth that I think he'd had all along, but now it was proven to him in a new way. And so even then, after everything was lost, he would say, blessed be the name of the Lord. It is that attitude, it is that understanding, it's that wisdom that is also expressed in the other example that we'll look at this morning, that of the psalmist. The psalmist knew, whether it was King David or not doesn't make any difference. The psalmist knew about the trials and tribulations of life, especially life as one of the people of Israel. The psalmist knew, as does anyone of any age, that life brings trouble. The nation of Israel, the individuals of Israel had faced starvation, oppression by dominant nations, prosperity followed by poverty, slavery, eventual destruction and dispersion to the four winds. But still, what does the psalmist say? That God is the maker, that God keeps faith, that God executes justice, that God gives food, that God sets free and opens eyes and lifts up and loves righteousness and watches over strangers and upholds the orphans and the widows. Despite all the problems, there was plenty of blessing. Blessing that had created Israel in the first place. Blessing that had helped Israel understand that above and beyond and underneath and shot through everything that Israel suffered, still there was a good God who was blessing them with the knowledge that he is there. Now how can you and I believe what Job would say or what the psalmist would proclaim? They're ancient words that some people believe are deluded words, misguided words. I'm sure there are many more, but let me give you just two reasons to believe this morning. One reason stems from my observation that I think is statistically, scientifically verifiable, but it's a an observation that comes to me as I look at all of life, that when you think about it, there is far more good in the world than there is bad. Two days ago, as one example, I read a newspaper article, the headline of which said, suicide is up in the United States of America. And my first thought was, how terrible is that? And it is terrible. Suicide of any kind is a sad and tragic thing. But I read the article. It's an amazing thing what you learn when you read articles, <laughs> and not just the headlines. What the article actually said that in 2021, suicide had increased by 4% in this country, but still the rate of suicide was lower than it was in 2018. So which do you want to emphasize? Yes, of course, the fact that suicide exists is a terrible thing, 
But the headline could just as easily have read, suicide is down in the United States of America. Here's what goes on. You and I love to hear bad news. We love to blame the media for only talking about bad things, but the reason the media talks about bad things is because they know you'll pay closer attention and also then pay attention to all of the commercials and buy the products of the companies that pay the news people to create their news. That's the way it works. We love to focus on the negative, not the positive, but the positive actually far outweighs the negative. Yesterday, for instance, almost everyone on the face of the planet had enough to eat. And yesterday, almost everyone on the face of the good earth chose not to kill each other. And yesterday, almost everyone in the world found a way to love each other enough that they didn't break up and go away. You see what I'm saying? All of that comes from the fact that God is good and we are blessed with goodness all around us. Maybe that's one of the reasons we focus on the bad is because in some sense, it is so rare. So that's one observation about how it is, why it is you and I can actually trust what Job said and what the psalmist said and what Jesus believed, that God is good. The second thing I want to observe, the second reason, is something to do with the inner gift of faith that leads to the conviction that God wins, that good triumphs, that evil ultimately is destroyed, and that one day all will be well. Job had seen that goodness in his own life, and I think with the benefit of his years, with the benefit of his wisdom derived from the fact that he looked first to God for an understanding about what was going on in his life, he could understand that even though something magnificent had been taken away, the fact that he had it at all was a gift from God. The fact that he lived at all was a gift from God. And so Job was given the gift of seeing, and he chose to take that gift of seeing, that God himself is good, and that good far outweighs the bad. The psalmist saw the same thing. Yes, Israel was beleaguered, Israel was attacked, Israel through its own fault was faithless to God and through no fault of its own was beset behind and before with trouble. But Israel always survived and still it does today. Jesus I chose for us not to read about Jesus today because you know the story of Jesus, right? 
Jesus, who went about in his life encouraging people, welcoming people, healing people, pointing people to the good God who is there with us. This Jesus is rewarded for all of that by being arrested, tried, convicted, executed then on a cross and dying. But Jesus knew that God is good. And God in his power resurrected him. Jesus knew that God wins, that good prevails. Jesus believed that God is good. Therefore, we of faith live with that same hope, that same conviction that God is good. And because God is good and because God wins, everything one day will be good. Everything today, though it's not good, can become good. And so we work for good without getting discouraged, without giving up, without ever wavering in our faith. Though, of course, we sometimes do all of those things. We keep at it. And we live with the peace and the conviction that because God is good, we can be good too and keep getting better and better, and one day that goodness will fill the whole world. It is fitting, I think, that we celebrate the goodness of God today, the goodness of a God who truly is our rock and redeemer. We celebrate it on World Communion Sunday. You see, Christians everywhere around the world already have been and will continue to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. As the choir was singing about one body, there were faces flashing in my mind, faces of people in Latakia and Aleppo and Beirut, faces of people all over the United States, faces of people in China and Russia, Christians everywhere around the world gathered in one body, gathered to proclaim in one voice against all the contrary evidence in the midst of wildly different contexts, whether in freedom and prosperity as we enjoy here today, or in persecution, as is happening in the church in China, or in the midst of incredible national dysfunction and disease, as is occurring in Russia. Regardless, the Christian church gathers to celebrate the goodness of God expressed in this table. God himself, who was and is so good that he would choose to die for us that we might live in him. And so, friends, let us come to the table. Let us come to this place where the disciples of Jesus have always come, a place that reminds us that in God's goodness, not only has he given us life, he has given us hope of renewed and eternal life. As we come, we remember that Christ's table is wide and his welcome is for all. We remember that Jesus dined with sinners and saints, with farmhands and foreigners, with disciples and doubters, with children and cherished friends, 
with the outcast and the outspoken, with lepers and loved ones. And just as Jesus ate at others' tables, he welcomed us to his banquet table. And he welcomes us now. Let us come. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and having blessed it, he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake from our little cups. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the sign of the covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim his saving death until he comes again. Let us drink together. Please join me in prayer. Lord, may the blessings of the grain of the earth and the fruit of the vine be for us a reminder of the true joy of communion that we share with the worldwide covenant of love. Sustained by your word, fed by this holy meal, let us go out with joy and be led forth in peace. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
The worldwide church that gathers today is a church that also extends back into time and forward into the future, God's church, God's family. I want to read for you a portion of a letter that was written by one of our brothers in Christ. He died in the year 258. We don't know when he was born. We only know that he was named Cyprian of Carthage, one of the bishops of that early church. And in his letter to Donatus, he wrote this. It is a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any of the pleasures of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatus, are Christians, and I am one of them. We too are one of them. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.